Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Princeton University Press Ideas Podcast, a joint production of Princeton University Press and the New Books Network. I'm Mark Clovis, and today I'm speaking with John Cagg, co-author with Jonathan Van Bell of the book Henry at Work, Thoreau on Making a Living. John, welcome to the New Books Network. Mark, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for agreeing to be on our show. I was wondering if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourself. Sure thing. So I am a professor of philosophy at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. And for the last few years, I've been um, writing general audience books um, and academic books, but with a personal flavor, uh, a certain genre called philo memoir. And um, most recently, uh, Henry at Work sort of reflects that um, approach to taking philosophy as uh, a way of thinking through the personal business of living. That's one of the things that I found so fascinating about it. It's a very relatable book. It's one that, as I'm reading about your life, it helps me to connect to the ideas better and understand how it relates to my life. What led you to undertake uh, a book about Thoreau and work in particular? And and, and could you perhaps describe a bit your collaborative process with your co-author? Sure, of course. So in 2020, I had a... um cardiac arrest and then went through bypass surgery. And in the year that followed my work, which had been pretty constant, bordering on a type of mania, ground to a very sudden halt. And um, that included my writing. And I reached out to my friend and co-author now, Jonathan Van Bell, and I said, I am really stuck. And uh, we started talking about work and that led us to start starting to talk about philosophy and work and that led us quickly to Thoreau who um, spoke to both um, certain questions that I personally was having about my work life at the time but also seemed to be addressing some very important issues that emerged in pandemic and post-pandemic life um, surrounding why we work, how much we work, when should we resign, what we, what should we think about work-life life balance. And these are um, topics that Thoreau was thinking about uh, very, um, very carefully. That was one of the things that I, I enjoyed about your book. I mean, I, I think about how Thoreau is one of those people who always seems to have this cultural relevancy in, in our in, in in America and people are always hearkening back to him even in, in, in ways that they don't necessarily know uh, one of the things for me about your book that I enjoyed was realizing just how relevant he was I mean you're right we talk about these issues all the time and Thoreau is one of these iconic figures he who who you know famously uh you know pulls back and kind of you know retreats uh inwardly and 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 we we stands out for that but he has and but i was thinking about as i was reading your book about how for me i don't really because he does that i don't think about him in work and yet as you explained from the start he has this incredible relevancy to a uh, a, a an economy and 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 a uh, an environment of work with which we are all very familiar today that's right. I mean, we think about Thoreau sort of as a loafer, oftentimes as a person who goes on vacation for two years, two months, and two days at Walden beginning in 1845. But we forget that this trip actually was motivated in in large part by certain forms of economic necessity and then and that the the experiment in simple living that Thoreau undertook 
involved a great deal of work. And what he was encouraging us to do is to rethink our work lives. He was born in 1817. And that was a time, it was, it's actually called the time without a summer, which um, basically meant that he was born into um, a year where New England, uh, it snowed in July. And farmers, uh, farmers suffered a great deal. There was a great deal of poverty, a great deal of uh, death and sickness. Um, and then in eight, in 1837, uh, there was a financial panic. And Thoreau is basically thinking very carefully about what it is to have wealth, what is wealth, um, what do we need, what do we really not need in life. And his urge for us to simplify, simplify, which he gives us at Walden, is really the urge to think through the world, the word economy in a new way, which is the title of the preface of the book. And um, in the first chapter of Walden, which is entitled Economy, Thoreau is really encouraging us to think about um, our place in the economic system um, differently. So to, to view wealth and material wealth as not the be all and end all, of human life, but rather to think about the necessities of life, what it what it is to actually support ourselves in a very existential and personal way. What sort of shelter do we need? What sort of clothing do we actually need? Uh, what sort of vital heat do we actually need? Um, and that's the, in part that is the the original meaning of economy, which traces back to the Greek word to dwell. And Thoreau is really asking us, what do you need to dwell happily in the world? And we discover that it's actually not all of the luxuries of life, which Thoreau comments in Walden, are not only hindrances, but genuine, um, you know, the opposite of boons, <laughs> genuine, <laughs> genuine, genuine detractors from a meaningful life. It's also something I want to actually go back to something you said, which is how we see uh, Thoreau as a loafer, and that's one of that. That for me was 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 the the big surprise of your book was real because I, I didn't really quite think of it the way that you presented it. But he was an incredibly hard worker, and and he had this engagement with the contemporary economy that was one that that showed he was no stranger to work and then as you point out he, and this is something that because I, I i'm not as familiar with thoreau as i probably should be i i didn't really think about what the daily life at walden would be like which was one which involved a great deal of work not just the the work of of, of writing but he was sustaining himself and so he was no stranger to hard work both both mental and manual that's right and i, and I mean we oftentimes think about Thoreau's primary occupation as one of writing. He writes a two million word journal. He writes Walden, which Robert Frost commented is the American classic. And then while he was at Walden, he also uh, drafted Civil Disobedience, which is regarded as uh, the sort of a sort of seminal text in political philosophy. But if we look at Walden carefully, he's farming and building and thinking about his clothing and what he's going to wear and how he's going to clothe himself. And many of the segments from Walden, which um, readers tend to gloss, which are these long lists of um, a sort of account book or checkbook list of uh, expenses that he had to incur, 
we gloss those quickly, but those are actually a very meaningful, um, those are meaningful moments in Walden because Thoreau is actually trying to account in a sort of monetary way what it is to have to remain alive and keep oneself going. And so his days at Walden were filled with um, hoeing and weeding and planting and building his own cabin, or at least, you know, repurposing or recycling a cabin of a um, neighboring uh, railroad worker. And, um, and, th and th those, those activities we oftentimes don't think as uh, particularly philosophically meaningful. But if, but if we think about our lives today, we're spending our lives at work for the most part. And so the question of what sort of work we should do and undertake is a deeply philosophical issue. It's, it's how are you spending your life? And all of that was a product of this choice that he made to, as, as, as you framed it, you know, basically to resign from the, the, the economy that that the broader economy that worked at that time and, and I, I that's when, when I was looking at your the table of contents for the first time I thought it was fascinating how you begin with what for many Americans you know we think of as the the end point of work which is the 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 you know the point at which we we, we stop making work the, the central part of our lives and yet as you explain it with, with by putting it at the beginning it really is the point at which we start to see the the thorough that we know today and we speak where he his ideas and his engagement his thoughts about work really become available i was wondering if you could talk a bit about that 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 concept of resignation and 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 how and how Thoreau informs it in a way that makes it so, uh, you know, relevant to us today. Yeah, I I had a conversation with Bob Gross, um, and also um, Robert Richardson, Bob Richardson, um, about this several years ago. And the consensus is that Thoreau goes to the woods and looks like he's resigning from life but in fact he's removing himself from the daily rat race in order to return to life in a more meaningful way and i think that if we really consider our post-pandemic world where people are quiet quitting or uh, you know there was some discussion about the great resignation that was occurring um post-pandemic or at the um you know later stages of the pandemic um, this move to resign from work that you do not find meaningful or enriching is an effort to return to life in a new way and to also to return to different forms of work. So we saw during the, um, the pandemic that brick and mortar offices typically were empty. We worked from home a great deal. Um, we came up with flexible and innovative strateg strategies to balance our professional lives with uh, the work of sustaining ourselves in a meaningful way. And so that's the type of move that Thoreau is very interested in. And he suggests that um, just like his contemporary Soren Kierkegaard in Europe, that um, the modern age you oftentimes uh, allies or makes coextensive the roles that we play in modern capitalism, like whether we're a teacher or post post person or a um, a worker in a you know on a 
on a road and our lives on the whole. So the, the roles that we take in our professional lives become who we are. And while that's inevitable to some extent, Thoreau was encouraging us to think about our lives in a sort of broader and more holistic ways, uh, a holistic way that does not simply reduce ourselves to any particular um, discrete role. Now, some people might feel that Thoreau had it easy, that he had that he, he didn't have the challenges that that we face in our economy today and the concerns with it. And while it was a very different world, one of the things that was very illuminating about your book is the point that you make that the type, the situation that he faced, where he was at that point in in our our, our society's history, our, our the, where, where we were in terms of that stage of our development, is one in which all the types of work that we discuss today manual work, machine work, and so forth, were there. And that Thoreau observed them, thought about them, and commented upon them in ways that, as you you illustrate in the book, are, are, are incredibly informative in terms of understanding us and, and our own work lives today. I was wondering if you perhaps talk a, a bit more detail about the different categories of work that, that you identify in, in, in uh, Thoreau's uh, thinking and, and, and what he, insights he has to offer about them. Sure. So, I mean, the way that we break the, the book down in part is through these different forms of work, through manual work, machine work, then we talk about meaningless work, immoral work, and co-work. And Thoreau, um, working against the backdrop of um, economic crisis, uh, I mean, the, the panic of 37 really wiped out a large amount of personal capital uh, individuals couldn't get jobs. Thoreau himself worked on 75 cents for a full week for many, many weeks, which at that time even was not very much money. Um, and he encouraged his readers to think about the different varieties of work as different opportunities in life. So for example, when Thoreau encourages us to work our own bean field or to think about the virtues of manual work, Thoreau understood that large large swaths of manual work were forced labor at that time, especially African-American slavery. And he never would endorse that form of manual work. What he did endorse was for um, free individuals to freely go back to working the land, thinking about what it would be to sustain themselves in a very physical, visceral sense, in a manual sense. And um, that move, Thoreau believed, had um, a twofold a sort of <laughs> excuse me, liberatory <laughs> possibility, which is um, it frees ourselves. If you ever have gardened or worked the land freely, you feel connected in a particular way. It pushes back against modern alienation um, in a certain way. And it also it gives you a type of self-reliance. And here Thoreau is thinking about Emerson's uh, famous essay, Self-Reliance. He's trying to put that into practice through manual work. The other liberatory pos possibility for manual work is that if individuals can sustain themselves in a um, sort of ongoing process, there's less of a need to, uh, to live on the backs of others, Thoreau believes. And so the the idea that we can sustain ourselves uh, through our manual work is a way of um, undercutting some of the more um, 
prevalent forms of exploitation that Thoreau was witnessing in the 19th century, middle of the 19th century. If we think about um, machine work, uh, Thoreau's criticisms and comments, comments are a little different. Thoreau was never a Luddite. He was never anti-machine work, but he did notice that uh, the rise of the mills and the rise of the Industrial Revolution during the 1830s and 1840s had produced a um, system of work which tended to alienate uh, both laborers and also the capitalists who owned factories. And this is, of course, you know, contemporaneous with Marx's assessment of um, late industrialism in the 1840s, 1850s. And um, what Thoreau is doing, I believe, is sort of echoing Marx's sentiment that um, industrial work, in particular life in the mills, um, and we can think about the mills as popping up in Lawrence and Lowell and Manchester, which were within uh, walking distance of uh, Thoreau's Concord, these uh, spaces of industry, Thoreau worried, would compromise the individual freedom, originality, and creativity of the workers and also of the owners of these um, manufacturing uh, manufacturers. And so um, Thoreau sort of pushed back against that um, and we oftentimes think about Thoreau as being a sort of Luddite, but he wasn't. He was just concerned about the the way that modern industry might compromise us. I, I was especially struck by what you did with the, what you and Jonathan did in the chapters about immoral work and and and, and meaningless work, because it, it seems that so much of our discussion of work today is increasingly gravitating around those. It's it while we definitely talk about the the impact of AI or the impact of of, of say 3D printing upon taking away manufacturing jobs, that in, we seem to be engaged more and more with this notion of that that so much so many of us work jobs that don't seem to have any, you know, practical function. And yeah, we get compensated. Sometimes we get well compensated for them, but it's but the work doesn't seem to have value in and of itself beyond that for that individual. Right. I mean, if you think about, and Thoreau thought about meaningless work um, in a couple of different forms, uh, but he did observe that what is meaningful and meaningless really depends on the individual. But he would kind of suggest that there might be what Jonathan and I term um, a level of unacceptable inanity, <laughs> um, which, which, um, below which someone would say, this is drudgery. This is meaningless work. It doesn't have any particular significance beyond, um, netting a certain paycheck at the end of the, uh, month or at the end of every two weeks. And what Thoreau was concerned about in terms of his trip to Walden, if, if we remember his comment, he said, I went to the woods so that I might live deliberately so that I don't get to the end of my life and discover that I haven't lived. And that deliberate work is Thoreau's attempt to recapture something of his life and to make sure that it, when he gets to the end, he doesn't look back and think, oh gosh, what was I doing with all those moments that I was in a job that I found deeply meaningless? And I think that that actually puts a real point on a great deal of the work that we do in contemporary society, which is when you ask yourself, 
am I happy at work? It's not simply like, what sort of job do I need to take next? It's the question of, at the end of my life, will I be happy with the work that I've done? Because I've spent so much of my time at work. Um, is it is it going to be satisfying at the end for, you know, for me to give an account of my life? So in terms of meaningless work, um, I think during times of crisis, here I'm thinking about the pandemic, individuals think, wow, if life is very precious, then I need to find a much better way of spending my daily time. And we oftentimes think that compensation, we finally realize that compensation doesn't, doesn't just put money in our pockets, but rather compensation is actually compensating us for our time, the time that we spend at work. It's sort of uh, paying us off for the opportunity costs that we have when we go into any particular workplace. And the question that was always on Thoreau's mind is, is the cost too high? In other words, am I sacrificing too much of myself in a job that could be more meaningful if I made other choices? Now, I think that while meaningless work has become fairly focal for us during the last year or two as a culture, I think immoral work actually remains under-conceptualized or under-discussed. And that's something that Thoreau wants to counteract in a real way. I mean, his push against slavery beginning in the 1840s and then extending until his death was really the push against a system of exploitation that um, trapped individuals into particular types of um, labor. He also suggests that um, the immoral work of the incredibly wealthy capitalists and industrialists that he saw in his um, surrounding communities, that people were making a great deal of money on the backs of others. And Thoreau's uh, experiment at Walden was at least in part to get himself out of that system, that economic system uh, that we're often complicit in. I mean, if you think about what sort of um, products we use and supplies that we get at the supermarket or at the mall. And, and we ask ourselves, where do these items come from? Um, Thoreau was one of the first to hook our consumptive, our patterns of consumption to um, systems of justice and systems of oppression and tried to point out that many of the ways that we think about living a prosperous, quote, wealthy life are at least oftentimes immorally bankrupt. And and that, uh, you know, again, you, you bring that, uh, you, you emphasize that when you're talking about the question of compensation, which really is about that trade-off. It's not just the time trade-off, but also the, the, the moral trade-off and how that becomes the metric by which we value work. It's not whether we get fulfillment from it. It's not, as you pointed out, whether we you know, you know, at the end of our lives, you know, feel like we, we, we've done something that we're proud of, but it's this, this, you know, numerical metric based upon this valuation that comes to us, uh, you know, weekly or, or, or biweekly or, or, or quarterly in terms of a dollar figure. That's right. And I mean, David Foster Wallace says this very nicely, sort of echoing Thoreau. Um, he says that modern society um, burns and whirls and, you know, keeps going, uh, through greed 
through fear, through jealousy. And um, our modern society says that we will be happy if we pursue these ideals, greed, jealousy, we give in to fear. And Thoreau basically said, that's wrong. I mean, we don't actually have to give in to the hedonic treadmill in the way that uh, modern consumption uh, pushes us toward. And that that idea is very difficult to accept. But um, if we think really carefully and if readers think really carefully about what makes their life worth living and um, what uh, sort of activities and possessions they either regret or don't regret, Thoreau believes that oftentimes we'll have the realization that um, these things that we uh, typically orient our lives around, the car, the house, Thoreau has a sort of scathing cr critique of uh, the family farm and the magnitude of the family farm, uh, the huge mortgages or the huge expenses that we uh, put out every day. Um, if we think about those aspects of our lives, Thoreau says that oftentimes we won't find them particularly meaningful or lastingly meaningful. And it's really a reorientation that Thoreau is after about um, what we regard as significant in our lives. And one thing's telling is that Thoreau really put his money where his mouth was on this point. I mean, we think about Thoreau as being this you know, isolated individual who lives all by himself in um, the Walden cabin. But Thoreau lived in 10 houses other than that uh, cabin, and he didn't own a single one of them. He, um, instead, he lived with others. He lived primarily with his extended family. And he wasn't just a loafer or, you know, a sponge absorbing the care of others. He worked dynamically to interact with people within the household to help support those people in particular ways. And he worked um, as many jobs as he lived in houses. And he worked the way that we count them, 11 different jobs through the course of his life from pencil maker or, and pencil inventor to surveyor, to writer, to lecturer, to um, builder, to gardener, to nanny. I mean, Thoreau was working all the time. But curiously, he wasn't obsessed with um, his bank account in the same way that many of us are, including uh, this guy who's speaking right now. <laughs> it's interesting that you uh, talk about the you know how we see him as as, as a loner, and I think it, your your uh, your chapter about coworkers made me think about that connection between how we think of engagement and. The, its relationship to work because so much of our social life, not necessarily in terms of our our, our social life, in terms of the part that we embrace and enjoy, such as you know, uh, relaxing, hanging out with people, traveling places, but so much of our, our, our of our social interactions are defined by work, by the people with whom we work. And, and as you uh, and Jonathan demonstrate, you know, Thoreau had quite a bit to say about that as well, and also evidenced it in terms of his own uh, interactions over the course of his life. That's right. I mean, we think about transcendentalism as advocating for this Promethean individualism. 
But the, but the transcendentalism of Thoreau and Margaret Fuller and Emerson um, had two sides to it. There was this individualism, but there was also this sense that we always operate within a wider political, social, and cosmic order. And that was clear for Thoreau. I mean, if you think about Thoreau's work, he was constantly interacting with others. Um, so, for example, um, Perez Blood, one of Thoreau's closest friends, was also a key surveyor, and Thoreau used a lot of his measurements in his own work. If we think about his uh, his work in writing, uh, he was constantly in contact with Emerson and Fuller and Channing and so many of his both friends, but also colleagues and co-workers constantly reading his material. Margaret Fuller taking him to task time and again for his writings in The Dial and him having to negotiate those personal relationships. And there was a sense for Thoreau that co-workers can obviously at certain times be a huge annoyance, <laughs> uh, but um, co-workers also make light work for um, if they are truly good ones. And Thoreau was very much aware of that and um, very much grateful for his co-workers, whether they be uh, of the human variety or of the non-human variety as he walked through the woods and really regarded um, the, the creatures that he encounters in the woods as co-workers of life, uh, which might sound overly esoteric, but if you're thinking carefully about what it is to garden, for example, you notice that there are co-workers and they're not just woodchucks who want to like eat, eat all of your, uh, <laughs> you know, eat all of your vegetables, but uh, nature works with you in a particular type of way. And Thoreau was interested in that as well. Hmm. Well, we appreciate the time you've taken to speak with us, but before you go, could you tell us what you're working on now? Absolutely. Um, so there are two things that I'm working on. One is a book called American Blood, which is a book um, of the United States told through this singularly wild family, the Bloods of New England, who stretch basically from the 1680s straight through to uh, the early 19th, excuse me, the, the early 20th century, uh, with Benjamin Blood being William James's uh, close friend who int introduces him to nitrous oxide. But this, um, this story about the wildness of the United States and the um, wildness of the, the Americas is told through eight different American bloods. So that'll come out next spring. And then after that, um, with Princeton University Press, uh, I've just finished uh, my first draft of a book called The Soul of Nature, um, How Emerson Changes the World We See. So it's a book very much like Henry at Work, um, but pursuing the life of uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. It sounds a bit like a uh, mirror image with, with it in terms of uh, the, the focus. It sounds like a, a fascinating work, and I hope you, we can have you uh, back on the show to discuss it uh, when it comes out. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. Well, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. You too.